Hi, everybody. Hey, buddy. It's Mike and Seth here, coming at you from um, suburban Ohio. Suburban Ohio. Suburban Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it's the end of spring break today, uh, Monday, March 19th. It is a brisk, let's see what it is today, a brisk 41 degrees. Uh, with a high of 57 today, just uh, I know you guys are dying to know. Uh, and then two days from now, it'll snow and be in the 30s. So that's uh, amazingly horrible. Now, Seth, Seth, oh. that jingling you hear is uh, something we call a floppy. Yeah. And uh, Seth loves the floppy. He just kind of flops it around. Um, now, now, Seth Erie, whose birthday is it this week? Um, Daddy. It's Daddy's birthday. All right, you want to do some singing for Daddy? Yes. Okay, who? What else is it this week? Say it's National Down Syndrome Day. Day. Yep, on uh, on know. the twenty first. Two first. Two first. Two first. Are you ready? Yeah. You gonna sing Happy Birthday? Yeah. All right, here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Birthday today. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Yay! Thank you so much. And how old's daddy going to be? Uh, Say 39. 49. 39. 49. Yes. Be very exciting. So, brothers and sisters, welcome to the show. Uh, we're glad that you're uh, with us. We're so thankful for those of you that um, review, write reviews or give us five-star ratings or support us on Patreon. We're so grateful for all of that. Again, the Revelation. Oh, and the flop's still going. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, the Revelation series is up and running. Um, so if you want to check that out on Patreon, you can do that. Otherwise, we've got a light, fluffy topic today. Um, the question is... Okay, bye, Sethi. Bye. Love you. The question is... Uh, please, li literally, it's this. Please explain the Trinity. That's the uh, that's the question that came in, and um, the answer is uh, I don't know that I can, but we can at least talk about it. Um, uh, I think it'll be interesting to kind of dive into why Christians kind of think this, and so this is more of a theology geek. Uh, episode. We've had Bible nerd episodes. We've had, you know, this is a theology geek episode. So, uh, so get your theology geek on. We want to talk about uh, why there is this idea that God is one and yet three, uh, three persons yet one essence. Um, it's called the doctrine of the Trinity, and um, uh, and it was called that before the Matrix came out. So just to be clear. Um, and, and even though the, the word Trinity isn't used in the scriptures, it's, it's actually the thing that is probably most, uh, either misunderstood or offensive to the other monotheistic religions, Islam and Judaism. When we were in Israel several years ago, um, we had two guides that are just amazing guides and they loved, uh, they, they love their country. They love their God. Um, and, and so obviously we talk about the, you know, we're, we're visiting all the sites of Jesus. They're big fans of, of Jesus, but the, the one bit they just could not, uh, stomach is the, that Jesus was a, a member of the Trinity, that Jesus was God. Um, and, uh, and certainly our Islamic brothers and sisters, uh, would, would take issue with that as well. So this is what this idea really sets, 
um, the Christian faith apart from the other monotheistic religions and um, it is either a, a terrible misunderstanding and we've gotten it all wrong and Jesus was just a really amazing peasant or uh, it's it's kind of what sets uh, the whole Jesus thing apart from all of the rest of the stuff that's out there. So th- it's kind of a big deal. And I, I just love the simple, please explain a Trinity. Um, so it'll take about 40 minutes to just even begin to frame a little bit about why um, uh, certain uh, of us think that, that Jesus is more than just a, you know, a good teacher or a moral human being or whatever. So uh, what I want to do is I want to start with just a jet tour of some of the Old Testament because a lot of a lot of times people think that the Trinity the Trinity was just a New Testament idea, and, and certainly the the interpretations of things I'm about to give are disputed not not only some within Christian circles for sure but certainly by Jewish scholars, um, and, and so there's a whole back and forth on some of these things. Um, and, uh, so I just want to let you know that's there, but, but if, if we were going to begin with, with framing the idea that God is one, there is one God, and yet that God is a community of three persons that share the one essence of God, um, how in the world would you begin to get that from scripture, even though the, 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 the term itself isn't used? So a couple of thoughts. Um, when, when Genesis, Genesis, is the first book of the Bible, when Genesis opens, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, now you can't read too much into this, but it, it's fascinating that the word God there in the first sentence is the word Elohim, which is a plural world word in Hebrew. And that plural word um, singularly creates. So the word create, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is the word bara. And um, uh, that's a singular word. And, and the Elohim is a plural word, Plur, plural word, <laughs> plural world. Um, and so, so bara is a singular verb. So it's interesting, you have a, a singular being who does singular work, but um, the, 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 the name that's used to describe this God is the word Elohim. And in fact, Elohim can also be just a reference to the gods. Um, and so it's, so it's a fascinating word that's used in, in literally the first sentence of the Bible. Then as Genesis 1 kind of goes forward, you, you read about in the beginning was God, um, and God created. And then you read about something called the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God in verse 2 is hovering and floating and and uh, over the, the chaos and the waters. And then in verse 3, you read about God's word. God speaks. Um, and, and, you know, obviously in the text, it's more than just a physical act I mean, because there's power to it. There's... Um, uh, let there be light, and there was light. There was something about God speaking that did something in the world, and so, so immediately you're confronted with a plural word, Elohim, to describe what God is like, and then you have God, God creating the Spirit of God hovering, and then the Word of God or God's Word, like like doing something, creating, directing, moving. It has force and presence. You get down to verse twenty six. And God uses a plural pronoun, 
for God's self. God says, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness. Three different plural pronouns. And, and again, there's all sorts of debate. I mean, I don't. I personally don't think this is a reference to the Trinitarian nature of God at all. I think this was more an ancient Near Eastern sort of customary locution about um, a, a royal we or a heavenly court. But it's just interesting that there are these little bitty hints uh, along the way that God is more complex than what we would initially think, right? Elohim, and then there's this word of God, spirit of God, creator God. Uh, and then there's this us, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness. Even in, in, in Deuteronomy, there's, this, uh, there's a section of scripture called the Shema, which is the, really the central prayer and declaration of the Jewish faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, and uh, in, in the Shema is really interesting because it's one of the clearest declarations uh, that God is one, that there is just one God, that God alone is God. And um, the word that's used there for the word one is the word echad. Um, and the word echad is an interesting word because it can mean alone, like uh, the only one, or it can also mean a unity made up of several parts, a compound unity, a, a single thing within which distinctions can be made. So like in Genesis 2, it says the two shall become one flesh. Now, and the word one there is the word echad. So here, two individuals come together to form a unity. And so when, when in the Shema it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, there are some who see echad there, not as alone, but rather, translated alone, but rather as uh, a unity made up of several parts. And, and there's a different word for one that could have been used called yakid, uh, that is absolute oneness. It's one and only one. Like in Judges 11, it says, now she was his one and only child. And the word one and only, there's yakid. It means only one or unique, not one among many. And so the fact is in the, in the Old Testament, yakid is never used to describe God. It's always uh, ikad. Um, Yaquid is never used to describe the oneness or unity of God. It's always a cod, which, it, which is this interesting again. Now, now I have a good friend of mine who says, no, no, here it's used exclusively for the idea that it's the Lord alone. Here, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord alone. Um, and certainly, uh, translations skew that way, but there are other scholars that I've read who say, no, no, a cod here is interesting because it's a unity made up of several parts. And so even in the old Testament, you have, I don't know, you just have these hints, um, that, that don't add up to much, you know, in and of themselves, but they're, but they're just little bitty glimpses that there's something, there's something interesting about this one God. When you get to, um, you know, when you get to the New Testament, you've got all sorts of crazy stuff now surfacing around Jesus, where Jesus, um, you know, particularly in the writings of Paul, where, where Jesus is, you know, described as being the visible uh, expression of the invisible God or the exact representation of God's being. Um, in, in the book of Matthew, at the very end, when Jesus kind of gives his disciples the, something called the Great Commission, he, um, he, he uses, he says, baptize, you know, uh, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the singular name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So the, the one name of the one God is Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And so, so you have this very interesting, um, this interesting expression where Jesus comes and in, in some very Jewish ways claims to be more than just a prophet, more than just a human person. He claims to be, he, he, he um, if you trust the new Testament, he, he has, you know, a very Jewish claims to being Yahweh, um, or to being one with Yahweh or being an expression of Yahweh, however you want to frame that out. I mean, in John one, um, right, the, the apostle John begins his gospel with, you know, in the beginning was the word. And the word here is a reference to Jesus of Nazareth. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Um, and so here you have this, the same sort of weird distinction where Jesus is God and Jesus is with God. There's, there's unity there, but there's also some sort of diversity there. Um, how can you be with something if you are that something fully itself? And so you have this distinction between God and the word, and yet both God and the word are God. I mean, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff uh, and horribly, horribly confusing. Um, so, so the best way I can try to explain, um, the Trinity is to say that there are three, so we have to do justice to three classes of texts, uh, in the Bible. So, uh, there are three classes of texts, three different ways the texts speak about God that we all, we have to do justice to. And the Trinity, the idea of the Trinity is the best explanation that does justice to all these texts. So the first class of texts uh, are scriptures that affirm there is only one God. So, um, you know, Deuteronomy 4, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one or the Lord alone. Um, first Kings, so that the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. Um, John 17, Jesus praying, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Um, Paul in First Corinthians 8, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. There is but one Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, first Timothy, the, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. So the scriptures, the first class of scriptures are the, the, the class of scriptures that all declare that the God, that there is only one God. There aren't many gods. Polytheism is not true. Pantheism is not true. There is one God and this God is separate from this God's creation. And so uh, the first class is all of those texts that say, nope, there's just one God. The second class of texts um, has to do with the scriptures that affirm the full deity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And I don't have time to go through all of these, obviously. But, but you have texts that affirm the oneness of God. But then you say you have texts that affirm that, that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. So for instance... Um, you know, Paul will, will call God Father all over the place. First Corinthians, for instance, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle sent from uh, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Um, when, um, John, when Jesus speaks in John 6, um, for on the son of man, God, the father has placed a seal of approval. So God, the father is this way of expressing that, you know, comes from Jesus, of course. 
um, when Jesus refers to God as Father. But um, there, there is the full deity of the, the Father affirmed in the scripture. Secondly, there is the full deity of the Son. Now, again, it, when, Jesus, when, when Jesus hints at this stuff, he's doing it in a very Jewish way. So, so there are loads of, loads of um, texts that we could look at, but like one in Luke 5 is when, you know, Jesus forgives sins. The, there's the paralyzed man, um, and Jesus forgives his sins before he heals the man. And, and everybody, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now to us, Jesus forgiving is what Jesus does. But back then, no, no, the only way you received forgiveness was from Yahweh. And the only way to receive forgiveness was to go to the temple um, approach a priest with a sacrifice and have that sacrifice offered in the temple. And so, um, you know, for Jesus just to be kind of roaming the Galilean countryside, forgiving sins was a huge, huge deal. Um, Paul affirms this when he, when he talks about there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Paul actually adapts the Shema in 1 Corinthians 8 to include Jesus of Nazareth. Um, when, uh, when Jesus... Um, uh, shows, you know, doubting Thomas, his hands, his feet and his side. Thomas declares my Lord and my God. And Jesus receives that. Um, uh, Paul says in Titus two, this is, you know, the, the, that, that Jesus is, um, our great God and savior. And, and, and again, so many of Paul's writings, um, you know, in Philippians two, uh, though Jesus, uh, was considered, um, uh, Let's see. <laughs> I totally just forgot what I was going to say. Um, he did not, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. So th there again is Jesus being equal with God in the book of Revelation that we're studying for our Patreon folks. I mean, there's all of this Old Testament imagery that had been applied to Yahweh now being applied to Jesus. I mean, that this is one of the most central declarations of the whole New Testament, of course, is that Jesus Christ is God. And then the Holy Spirit. Now, this one's much more subtle. The Holy Spirit is a person. Um, but the Holy Spirit is deity also. Um, in Acts chapter five, uh, someone named Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, um, deceive, they seek to deceive the church by holding back a portion of, uh, of money from land they sold. They told the community, this was all the money when in secret, they held back some. Um, and then Peter confronts Ananias and he, and he says, um, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. So here you have Peter equating lying to the Holy Spirit with lying to God. Um, you know, Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will be not be forgiven. So blasphemy against the Spirit. Blasphemy is, of course, uh, of course a sin against God. Um, and, and you have other references where Jesus talks about him being one comforter and, um, and, uh, the, the Holy spirit being another of the same kind of comforter. And so you just, it's, it's more subtle, but it's clearly affirmed that there, there are texts that say there's one God. And then there are texts that say there is, uh, the father is God, the son is God and the Holy spirit is God. 
And, and then the last, the last class of texts um, is those texts that show the simultaneous distinction of the three persons of the Godhead. So, so I, I'd heard the Trinity explained like, well, so God, you know, is like the father in the old Testament and Jesus and the gospels, and then the spirit now to the church. Um, this isn't one person with three roles. This is actually the simultaneous community of one God manifesting itself in three per distinct personalities. And so it doesn't clear it up, but this is what makes it so confusing is the fact that there are these other texts that show father, son, and spirit all distinctly interacting simultaneously. So for instance, um, you know, uh, um, in Matthew, you've got, um, you know, Jesus saying, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the singular name of Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, Stephen, in the book of Acts, looks uh, full of the Holy Spirit, looks up to heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So there's all three. Um, when Jesus is baptized, obviously Jesus, Jesus is baptized. The spirit comes down and lands on Jesus like a dove. And then a voice from heaven, from God, the father speaks. So, so what you've got, you've got, you've got texts that say there's one God, texts that say the father is God, the spirit is God, the son is God. And then lastly, you have examples of all three of them interacting um, simultaneously, um, yet in, in, in distinction of one another. And so, <laughs> Your, your question, please explain the Trinity, provokes far more questions than it does answers. But the, the goal for today was just to sketch out the, the, and there's, you know, there are counters to these things and responses to those things. And, you know, this is just the, the faintest beginning of a conversation. But in the Old Testament, you get hints of something. Um, in the New Testament, that gets fleshed out in, in Jesus's claims about himself. But, but beyond that, then, the claims of the community about Jesus, uh, culminating in the book of Revelation, and this really exalted um, Christology, which is kind of your view of Jesus, that's, that's given to Jesus is just, just amazing. And, uh, and then you've got the, the texts that say, well, no, here's Jesus being baptized, the Father speaking, the Spirit landing, all of that's happening at once. And so it's not just one person in three roles. It's, uh, the, there, is a, there is a unity that manifests itself in the diversity of community. And so, no, no, the reason, there are many reasons why this matters. Because, you know, if you're not a theology geek, you're sitting here going, oh, my Lord, I'm, I'm so glad. Um, I'll be so glad when this is over. But there are reasons why this, this absolutely matters, of course. And, and one of them, obviously, is um, your view of Jesus goes a great deal towards your view of the scriptures and your, your view of how life should be lived and, and um, whether his words are authoritative and in what sense they're authoritative. And, and so certainly your view of Jesus is at play here, and that, that is absolutely critical. Um, because when, when the new Testament says, listen, if you want to know what God, the father's like, look at Jesus. I mean, that's really a big deal. And, and so if our view of God, um, is polluted by non-Jesus pieces, right, then, then you get into all sorts of trouble, but that's kind of the obvious one the, the, the next one, um, is very interesting to me, uh, in terms of why this matters. And that's simply because we're made in the image of this God. 
And so we image this God. We're image bearers of this God. And so it's fascinating that a plural is used, let us make human kind in our image, in our likeness. Now, there are many different ways to spell out what it means to be an image bearer and what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. However, one of them has to be the fact that we're made in the image of a community. In other words, and this plays itself out, Actually, in Genesis 2, when, when, um, when God declares that it is not good that the man was alone, right? The only thing declared not good was aloneness, which is fascinating to me. So, so why is that? Well, I believe it's because we're wired uh, for connection with each other. How do, why do I think this? Well, because we're made in the image of a community. Uh, the one God exists in self-sacrificial, joyous, overflowing love and sacrifice towards one another. We are made exactly for that same thing. That's why um, it was not good that the man was alone, but also the first thing that was affected when sin entered the world was the relationship between the man and the woman. The first thing affected wasn't just their relationship with God now, now filled with hiding and shame, but, but it was literally the first way it manifested itself was the recognition that the man and the woman were naked. They needed to be covered up, but now there's blaming and shaming and guilting and arguing. Whereas before they lived in, in harmonious relationship. And, and so to me, the, the, one of the really interesting implications of the Trinity is that you and I, um, are made to need each other. Like they're, they're, it's still not good if people are alone. There, there, there's a reason why there are so many commands that are called the one another commands in the New Testament, like love one another and serve one another and bear with one another and forgive one another. There's so many, there's a reason why there are so many of those. And that's simply because we cannot work out what it is to be fully human, to fully flourish or to be fully Jesus following unless that's done in community. Why? Because we are image bearers. That's why any, any, you know, technology that human beings will create, we will use it to connect right? I can sit on my PlayStation and I can play uh, Destiny with people from all over the world. Um, or my son is now into a game called Fortnite. So we're experiencing Fortnite from people all over the world. But it, but it's fascinating. You sit and talk to people. Um, we have people, uh, you know, that are friends that live in Canada and they're just chatting away. I mean, it's fascinating what we do to any, you know, computers are very isolating things, but yet what do we do? Social media is booming, right? We're able to connect with people on it. This is what we do. We cannot help but uh, turn everything toward uh, the ability to connect with other human persons. That is why, of course, uh, the church is a community more than it is some vicarious sort of passive watching of um, paid professionals do a service, right? Or do, you know, professional speaking and, and professional music leading. I mean, that's, there, there are many, many implications for why this matters. So um, to, to, to you, questioner, please explain the Trinity. I cannot <laughs> at all. Um, I just, I, I can just say that it's a, a problem that scripture presents us with because, and it doesn't seek to solve. It doesn't fully explain it. That's why we had huge church councils with, you know, fighting over Greek words that, that um, were very important back in the day. Because uh, how this plays itself out is and has significance. But the concept itself is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, so, so anyway, I hope, uh, I hope this has in some way been helpful, um, at least in the, the faintest sketching of the beginning of an answer. Uh, would love your thoughts on it. And so uh, please hit us up at, um, 
fee, let's see, what is it? Hello at Vox Podcast, I think is the, the email address.com. Um, anyway, thank you for tuning in. As always, if you haven't yet, would you would you go to iTunes and leave us a review um, or consider supporting us on Patreon? We're grateful for you and grateful that for the opportunity we have to be part of your life. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And then these days, may he give us peace. Until next time, brothers and sisters, thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.